Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. It has been gospel amongst many conservative donors for a long time that no one who appreciates classically liberal values should be giving, frankly, any money to the modern university. From elite schools to state schools to community colleges, none of them seem to be immune from this this virus of running counter to the values that many of their most generous donors share. So back in episode 26, we sat down with Emily Jay of the Foundation for Academic Renewal at ACTA and discussed how donors could protect their donor intent if they were giving to colleges and universities. Today, we're going to go with a little bit different tack following the mess that we've seen on too many college campuses in the wake of the Hamas tax in Israel back in October. And we have seen a lot of donors who are just fed up and say they're giving up on higher ed entirely. Today, I'm joined by my friend Hans Zeiger. Hans is president of the Jack Miller Center in Philadelphia, which does important work to defend American values, promote civics education, and develop strong academic leaders, um, and has been thinking a lot about this and what donors should be doing. So Hans, it seems like every few years there is something that causes all of these folks to you you get a thousand think pieces launched about why donors shouldn't give to campuses anymore and then you have the october 7th uh, atrocities the anti-semitism that followed on campuses it actually launched a think piece from you a great one in law and liberty called the next step for disaffected donors but you know we've seen this story before do you really think this time is different do you think calls for change are really going to get heated now well thanks peter for having me on. It's great to be with you. And I I do think this time is different. I mean, I've been observing higher education for a while from different angles. Um, One being uh, working a lot on higher education policy as a state legislator back in my home state of Washington. And I I, I think that this time is different. We're seeing donor action, not just talk, you know, I mean, some very major donors to uh, big institutions, elite institutions saying, you know, we're not going to give money anymore or or at least we're withholding money until things change at their alma mater. And, uh, we're, you know, we saw resignations of two Ivy League presidents. I mean, that was a big deal. And you saw a, a, a public backlash to the kind of testimony that they gave uh, the presidents of Harvard and, and Penn before Congress. And so, um, and public attitudes are changing. And this is not just about the rise of ideology on campus and the, you know, just huge uh, evidence of uh, anti-Semitism on college campuses. But um, public attitudes are changing because of uh, economic factors, because they're questioning the value proposition of a four-year degree under the economic circumstances uh, following you know, first the recession uh, years ago and, and more recently the pandemic. And, you know, so I think, you know, a lot of the kind of cost factors that are involved with higher education are really causing people to question 
um, the, the value proposition. And it, it doesn't mean that we should abandon higher education. It doesn't mean that we should we shouldn't invest in it as a society. But it does mean that we should think about some different choices that we might make to renew our higher education system and to make it truly the engine of dynamism that it has been and, and really continues to be in many ways, uh, at where people from all over the world come to America to get a higher education. And uh, there are good reasons why alumni have long invested in their alma maters, why they see the value of that, both for them personally and for their families and for uh, generations to come. So we should not give up on higher education, but we should make some choices differently than we have. So I guess this is the cynical question that I have is, do the universities even really care? I mean, they have so much money. Are the dollars being withheld even significant enough to to matter, to the to force change? I mean, I, th- I, I would come back to the fact that we did have two university presidents resign. Um, now, how much was that a function of uh, d- major donors saying that they were going to withhold money? I'm not sure how that factored in versus the immediate public backlash to the the words that they said in that congressional hearing. Um, so, you know, there's, I guess I would put the Ivy leagues and the, these top elite universities in a little bit different category than the rest of, of higher education when it comes to the pressures that they face, because they are to some degree insulated by these massive endowments, as, as you point out. But the economics of higher education, as it affects the vast majority of Americans, uh, I think are are really worth paying attention to as we think about this other problem of of ideology on college campuses that has that has come to light. You know, I, I spent a lot of my time when I was in uh, the the state legislature of Washington working on higher ed policy and looking at the cost side. So often, you know, we were thinking about the you know where is money coming from is is. Uh, is, is there going to be more state money available? And uh, what's the rate of tuition? Well, what are the cost drivers? Very few people are paying attention to those and they are significant. I mean, these we're talking about one of the priciest items that any American is ever going to pay for, higher education. And, um, and frankly, higher education costs too much. And so I tried to call attention to that. I tried to figure out how can we have more transparent cost accounting for higher education spending. And boy, when, when you start to raise that issue, the institutions uh, <laughs> freak out. They, they do not want a whole lot of public transparency about how money is being being spent. But more and more Americans really are right now questioning that value proposition. I mean, when all of a sudden during the pandemic, courses went online and the, the many thousands of dollars that, were, that the families were paying for higher education were, you know, you could have spent much less to get an online education than um, than parents and students were paying. Um, and and so there are many more efficient ways to get an education, to get information, to get up to speed. And, that, and you know, is a college education with a four-year degree going to equip somebody for the, the economy that we're in? Um, I mean, with, with it, the, the economy evolving so quickly and the job market evolving so quickly. That, that is a question that I think has been asked in recent years um, where somebody who may go to a trade school and uh, do so in a year or two is going to be much more competitive in the job market than somebody with a, a four-year degree. So people are changing their habits, changing their behaviors, changing the way that they think about the market of higher education. And this this is front and center for you know, a lot of non-elite institutions. I mean, we had, there were 15 uh, colleges that shut down in 2023. 
mostly small private colleges that just could not put together the financing to stay afloat. And um, I think we're going to continue to see more of that. We have market oversaturation in some parts of the country. We have, you know, too many universities trying to be all things to all people. And that has been the predominant model of a university for the last hundred years, essentially. And that model is just not going to work out. I mean, and that that is related to the problem of not seeing the purpose of a university or the mission of a university as the pursuit of truth. Because if you see it as the pursuit of truth, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna narrow things a, a little bit. It's not gonna be all things to all people. Certain things are gonna be valued more than others, and certain certain truths are gonna come to light, and we're gonna pay close attention to that. But but there's this uh, atmosphere of relativism that has come to predominate in universities, and um, you know you talk about the pursuit of truth i mean veritas is the the harvard motto and, and many other universities uh talk about veritas in their mottos but uh truth is really not valued in most of higher education these days and i think those who are going to be the winners and who are going to be able to differentiate themselves from this all, all things to all people model that has predominated um, are, are going to be those who say we value truth the purpose of the university is to pursue, pursue truth and I, I think they're going to benefit from that. University presidents who say truth matters are going to benefit from that. Well, and to go back to something you touched on about transparency, you know, I, I have this theory and you tell me because you've seen it. You've probably seen this both from your political seat and from now your nonprofit seat. You know, I don't think a lot of donors really understand what they're giving to when they give unrestricted mm-hmm. dollars into a college. And I wonder if if you have seen that shift in terms of how how poorly those dollars are used over time and or just have any insight into how donors should be thinking about unrestricted dollars they're giving to these schools yeah it's a great question because you start looking into budgets and where where the growth is in higher ed budgets uh huge growth in higher ed administration and um you know i I guess i'd point to three things that donors students, parents, alumni ought to be aware of, and too few are aware of, first of all, that administrative bloat. And, and you know, institutional state, many other institutional stakeholders are well aware of this. I mean, a lot of faculty are well aware of the problems of administrative bloat. And, you know, you have deans of this and associate vice presidents of that. And, and um, you know, you name a problem, there's there's some administrator whose job is to tackle that problem. And it... it <laughs> Over bureaucratization is a problem in any institution, and it has become a problem in American higher education. The, the second problem I'd point out is is research bloat. Um, the incentive structure for academia is not about teaching as much as it is research. Now, that's different at community colleges. It's different at a lot of smaller colleges. But we have incentives built into the, the professoriate across the, the board to do research. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense when it comes to um, the sciences, the hard sciences, when it comes to uh, a lot of fields where you can do something to make a breakthrough in uh, our understanding and how we solve problems. It doesn't make the same degree of sense in the humanities and um, the, the social sciences where you, you need a body of uh, understanding that's passed along from generation to generation. Yes, there is room for new understanding of subjects. And, and yes, academic freedom matters when it comes to that stuff. But there should be, uh, my, my point is there should be more incentive for teaching 
in some of these fields. And, and we can save some money for tuition payers and taxpayers and donors, et, et, et cetera, if we focus more on teaching instead of research in some fields, including history and political science, where a lot of my work focuses. And then the, the third thing is what I've already mentioned, which is that universities have tried to become all things to all people. That's just an unsustainable model. Um, universities in this day and age are going to have to focus on certain things, certain core competencies, and, um, and I think they'll be rewarded for doing so. Yeah, I've never really thought about it in that terms of them trying to be all things of all people. You feel like universities specialize in some way, shape, or form, but if they try to make everyone happy, which is really what they're so often trying to do, they, they dig a hole for themselves. And they have room to specialize too. Well, so we've talked a lot about the problems. Let's let's turn to some solutions because in that article that I referenced earlier, you talked about some solutions. Your work at the Jack Miller is is built on solutions. What can donors do? Is there a winning argument A to just finally wake donors up to be like, no, really, there's lots of other things you can do with your money. Um, I mean, I'm guilty. I still give a small amount to my alma mater, right? It's a hard habit to break. So how do you break that habit? But also where should they be putting these dollars that they might want to see go towards making sure we actually have professors who are allowing free and open discourse in colleges that are uh, instilling these civic values? And Yeah, no, you're absolutely right that alumni loyalty is a real thing. And, and it's not my job to, to go out and, and, you know, persuade alumni that they should not give to their alma mater. And I mean, I think there are many good reasons why people would give to their alma mater and, and, and support higher education in some of the ways that they've done. I, my plea to donors would be, let's also think about the talent pipelines for uh, faculty and uh, leadership in our universities that cannot be neglected if we want to secure uh, a better future for higher education that values the liberal tradition, that values um, what we always refer to as the American political tradition in, in the work that we do at the Jack Miller Center, You know, the, the founding principles and history of our country that ought to be taught in our universities, particularly in our history departments and, and political science departments and related uh, areas of the university that unfortunately have, have neglected, in many ways, have neglected the teaching of those things. And so uh, our project has been to cultivate uh, the rising generation of scholars. We now have over 1,100 scholars in our network who are devoted to the American political tradition. And uh, we, we would ask donors to consider the kinds of investments and talent pipelines that uh, we've been about, and but that other organizations like um, the Institute for Humane Studies has been about in their work to uh, get more free market thinkers into the university, more more uh, classical liberals into the university. And this is an important point too, because you can get you can have an outsized impact by having a really good professor even at a crappy school. You know, John Tomasi is one I often point to. I think it's now Left Brown running Heterodox Academy. But, you know, for mm-hmm. a long time, he was this little conservative libertarian enclave in Brown University, but was one of the most popular professors there on campus. And, you know, they really can have an outsized impact because they're not getting that perspective from the traditional progressive woke professor. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the profession that would would pull highest uh, among popular professions in the country. You know, nurses and firefighters and and, and a bunch of others would probably um, pull have a higher popularity rating than professors. But boy, when it comes to shaping the intellectual um, um, culture of our country, laying intellectual foundations for how we think about our country, um, 
scholars in the university matter a great deal. And by the way, if you want to train effective K-12 teachers, you better pay attention to how they're getting their training in universities. Uh, that's that's another uh, body of work that we're focused on and is how do we equip K-12 teachers through master's programs, through professional development programs made possible through university, you know, outstanding scholars who are doing good work in the university. So uh, we, we cannot neglect this. And, and by the way, I mean, if, if we want good administrators, if we want good leaders in our universities, we need to invest in scholars and other leaders who are coming up, uh, uh, rising up in the ranks. And um, so there's a talent pipeline uh, investment that has been um, you know, quietly done by some. I mean, there, there's a heritage of uh, foundations, many known to listeners of this podcast, like the Olin Foundation, the Bradley Foundation, who've invested in scholars over the generations. Uh, but we need to do more of that in this time. So that's one avenue that donors can pursue. They can actually help cultivate the talent via group organizations like what Jack Miller Center is doing, IHS, uh, several others are, are doing this at the at various levels. What else? Where else can they put their money so they feel like they're helping advance these ideas on campus, good, you know, classically liberal ideas on campus without actually giving them to the university itself? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say th there actually is an argument for giving to universities in, in the case that they demonstrate um, that they are committed to truth or committed to the teaching mission, not just the research that I talked about. I mean, research is important in some fields, but teaching ought to be valued in universities. And uh, they ought to show a commitment to civic purpose, uh, show that they care about the well-being of uh, the, the quality of citizenship in our country and that they're willing to invest in that in terms of their teaching and in terms of, of other commitments that they make. So, so if a university president and a university and its various uh, program says we're serious about the truth, serious about civic purpose, serious about teaching. Uh, you know, folks ought to consider investing there. The, the second thing is I think people ought to support programs that are reaching students outside the classroom with readings from the liberal tradition. And so, you know, those might be extracurricular campus centers that people can support. They may include reading groups, lecture series on campus that, so there's a targeted investment and some good work that's going on on campus, or it could include summer programs. And I'll just mention the Hertog Fellowship, the Hudson Institute Political Studies Program, uh, the Fund for American Studies, the Foundation for Economic Education, just to use some examples of some very good, um, you know, programs with a long track record of making a difference in the lives of undergraduate students. And those are absolutely worthy of folks' support. Hans, where can folks find out about those types of programs? Is there a master list somewhere? <laughs> well, we, we support a number of different campus centers that are devoted to the American political tradition. And those are listed on our website, jackmillercenter.org. And so that would be one place people can go to see, you know, and those are mostly you know, political scientists who are setting up um, programs for their students, lecture programs, Constitution Day programs for, for their campus. Um, it, it, another place to go look would be the... Um, the um, American Council of Trustees and Alumni has a list of 90 oases of excellence. And these are campus centers that they can vouch for and they're trying to bring together who, you know, share certain things in common, you know, a, the pursuit of truth, uh, a commitment to open inquiry and discussion and intellectual diversity. And there's certain things that um, 
that these programs hold in common. So I would recommend that as well. Oh, that's good. All right. I derailed you from your third point. Yeah. Well, I, the, the third point I've, I've covered to some degree already, and that is just uh, creating an infrastructure for serious scholarship. And that is, that's about investing in talent pipelines, not just getting people into graduate school, but also making sure that we're investing in opportunities for serious scholars to um, get tenure. I mean, to, to have a long-term successful um, career in the academy. And we want to find ways to promote academic leaders, academic entrepreneurs who value truth, virtue, and civic purpose. So I mentioned IHS, uh, another organization worth looking into that's involved in talent pipeline work, and I think is doing some some very good work with their scholars is the Institute for Citizens and Scholars. And um, IHS has been around since the 60s. Uh, Institute for Citizens and Scholars has been around since just after World War II. Our organization, the Jack Miller Center, which invests in talent pipelines for scholars of the American political tradition, we've been around for 20 years. And uh, we have over 1,100 scholars in our network who are just doing very important work, uh, very, very often lonely work in their fields, but deserve the support of their fellow Americans who uh, really share a common cause to the future of citizenship. And boy, you know, I'll point out, this is super important stuff as we think about the 250th anniversary of our country mm -hmm. coming up in 2026. You know, As we think about what can we do together as a country, how can we celebrate our shared inheritance of freedom, um, the, the responsibility of being a citizen in a self-governing country, the privilege of that, you know, um, investing in civic education at every level is really important. And, and that includes higher education. You know, you've mentioned that you used to be a, a legislator out in Washington state. You're, you're, you've seen up close the machinations of legislature, legislative involvement with higher education. And we've seen some political attempts, particularly down in Florida with some of the stuff that Ron DeSantis has done, um, is there, you know, we never want to advocate for more government, but when government can actually help create better solutions uh, and, and create more freedom, there's good public policy organizations that help advocate for that. Have you seen positive involvement in with state legislators to help get any of this back on track? Or is that really not a great tree to bark up? One of the really promising things happening in public higher education right now, which is the the largest share of how higher education is done. The vast majority of students are going to be involved in higher, public higher education of some kind, whether it's community college, public four-year uh, institution, or otherwise. And uh, we're seeing the emergence of schools of civic thought that state legislatures are enacting and funding in several states now. This started in Arizona with Arizona State University uh, and their School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership. Governor Doug Ducey and the Arizona legislature created this. Uh, it was it was it was then um, uh, started and run for several years by Paul Carice, uh, who really made a go of it and, and demonstrated that this could be a model for other institutions in the country. So now we're seeing University of Texas Austin has gotten their Civitas Institute and now a School of Civic Leadership off the ground. We're seeing the Hamilton Center at the University of Florida. Institute for American Civics at University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And uh, now recently the uh, Ohio legislature approved five schools of civic thought in Ohio. Uh, we, we're seeing institutions come to fruition in Utah and, in, and one is about to start in North Carolina. And another one in Florida at Florida State is 
uh, about to start. So uh, th these are really promising ways for undergraduates to get an education in American civics, to understand civic leadership, to um, do the readings from uh, great books and, and from the American political tradition so that they can be prepared for leadership roles in our free society. And this is the kind of thing that we need. This, is, this has been neglected. Our public universities have neglected their civic mission for a long time, but with this kind of an innovation, we can see some real change. What this is not is, you know, conservatives need to have some bulwark in the university. Um, what this is, is we need a forum for young people of all political stripes to learn about the civic foundations of our country, because they're not gonna get that in very many places. Um, so very encouraged by that. We see this movement growing. Paul Carice has just come on board as a senior fellow of the Jack Miller Center, and um, and he's doing really great work to help organize this movement throughout the country. Oh, that's great. That is that is encouraging. So you've given us a lot of different organizations. We'll, we'll try to put as many as we can in the show notes here so people can look them up and find them. Um, but any final words, any final advice to donors who are throwing their hands up and saying, I, I care about higher ed, this matters, but... I'm done. Just a final synopsis of what we would tell them. Yeah, I would say don't don't give up on higher education. I mean, just thinking about the civic purpose of higher education, which is what I spend most of my time thinking about. You know, I mean, George Washington saw the value of civic education. He thought there ought to be a national university where the leaders of the country could come together and and study the same things so they could develop a common set of national values. Um, but but he talked about why he cared about that, why civic education matters. And that, that was that in a free society, we, we can't just um, rely on the leaders of, of society to have civic knowledge. No, we're all self-governing. That means that it is, it is our responsibility to know certain things, to be able to think reflectively about certain things. And it's not just, you know, trivial knowledge or, or factual knowledge, you know, like we often think about. I mean, I think when we, when we think about civic education, we tend to think, you know, civics in middle school, memorizing certain kind of facts about how many members of Congress and, you know, the, how many branches of government, those kinds of things. But, you know, George Washington said in his very first message to Congress, people ought to be prepared to think deeply about freedom and about the difference between freedom and tyranny, about human rights, about what justice is and about what our responsibilities are as a free people. I mean, th these are, he had been through the revolution. He, he had been through the founding of a country. He understood why this kind of thing was really important for people to know about. So the uh, intellectual foundations of freedom are a big deal. And so much of that work goes on in our higher education system. So we best not neglect it. We best figure out ways to reform it and make the most of it and channel it in the directions that it ought to go. And I have not given up on this. That's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, why I decided to leave a, a career in politics um, and, and think, you know, this is really the cause of our generation is how do we make our education system from K-12 through college uh, work in a way that can, can fuel our continued success as a free society. I think that's that's a great thought to end on and uh, a good call to action and call to arms to keep keep supporting this stuff because it is important. Hans Zeiger, thank you so much for this. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for all you do. As we said at the outset, 
donors are continually getting angry at universities as these schools turn away from classically liberal values or even just the willingness to allow for open discourse in the first place. Perhaps Hans is right that this time is different. But what hasn't changed, and frankly is only going to get better, is the wide range of options that donors like you have for where to put your dollars to support a thriving culture of higher learning. I recommend looking at ACTA's Oases of Excellence that Hans mentioned, as well as Hans's own Jack Miller Center uh, and its website to see some of these different centers that are out there that would take your support and uh, do good things with it. You also might check out the Institute for Humane Studies and some of the professors that they're working with as well. Need more ideas? Well, we at Donors Trust are happy to dig into this area or whatever your area of interest is and help you find organizations, play matchmaker a little bit, so we can help you find places to give that align with your priorities. We want to see positive change in the world just as much as you do, and we are thrilled to be able to help you with it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to having you with us for the next great conversation. And until then, thank you for being a giver. Let's talk more soon.